Chapter Four of That Mother-in-Law of Mine by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Mountains and more mother-in-law. So the bells were rung, metaphorically speaking, and we were wed. I had a long leave of absence from the banking house in which I held a responsible and confidential position, and we started for the mountains leaving mamma pinkerton to put things to rights and follow us in a fortnight when we had decided to settle down for a month's quiet stay in a picturesque town of the mountain region oh the unrestrained joy of that fortnight everybody at the hotel seemed to know by instinct that we were a newly married pair and knowing glances passed between them but what did we care with pride and a conscious embarrassment that made my hand tremble i wrote on the registers in a bold hand charles travers and wife i asked for the best room with a pleasant outlook the smiling clerk trained to dissimulation would appear as unconscious as the blank safe behind him but he knew all the while the sly rascal that we were on a wedding trip and he paid special attention to our comfort we saw the glories and wonders of the mountains and shared their inspiration as with a single heart we rose early to drink the clear air and greet the rising sun together we strolled out in the evening to romantic spots and there with arms around each other as we walked or stood gazing on the scene and listening to the rustling breeze we were happy for two weeks our lives blended with each other and with nature and it was with a sigh that we mounted the lumbering stage to take up our sojourn in the retired town on the hills we came to the little hotel just at night and were stared at and commented upon by those who had been there three days and assumed the air of having had possession for years we were tired and kept aloof that evening and the next day mother-in-law arrived as she dismounted from the coach she gave the driver a severe warning to be careful of her trunk an iron-bound treasure that would have defied the efforts of the most determined baggage-smasher. Bessie had flown to meet her, and their greeting was affectionate. But to me the old lady presented a hand, encased in a mitt or sort of glove with amputated fingers, and gave me a stately, "'I hope you are well, sir,' that rather made me feel sick. She looked full at me in her steady commanding way, as much as to say, well you have committed no atrocious crime yet i suppose but i am rather surprised at it if there is anything i pride myself on it is self-possession and a willingness to face anybody and give as good as i get but that magnificently imperious way of looking with those large eyes always disconcerted me i could not brace myself enough to meet them with any show of impudence though the old lady had not ceased to regard that as the chief trait of my character as mrs pinkerton trod with stately step the rude piazza of that summer hotel she put her eyeglass on and surveyed its occupants with a look that made them shrink into themselves and feel ashamed to be sitting about in that idle way i believe the old lady's eyesight was good enough and that she used her glasses with their gold bows and the slender chain with which they were suspended about her neck, for effect. I noticed that if they were not on, she always put them on to look at anything, and if they happened to be on, she took them off for the same purpose. Well, she said, going into the little parlor and looking from the windows, this really seems to be a fine situation. The view of the mountains is quite grand. 
very kind of you to reprove of the mountains but you could give them points on grandeur i thought but i merely remarked we find it quite pleasant here she turned and glanced at me without reply as much as to say who addressed you sir you would do well to speak when you are spoken to i was abashed but was determined to do the agreeable so far as i could in spite of the rebuke of those eyes the house doesn't seem to me to be very attractive she continued glancing around with a gaze that took in everything through all the partition walls and assuming a tone that meant i am speaking to you bessie and no one else what sort of people are there here oh some very pleasant people i should judge said bessie but we have been here only one day you know and have made no acquaintances to speak of charlie's friend fred marston from the city is here with his wife and i met a young lady to whom i took quite a fancy this morning a miss van dazen she's quite wealthy and an orphan and is here with her uncle a fine-looking gentleman who is president of a bank or an insurance company or something of the sort you saw him i think on the piazza the large man with grey side whiskers white vest and heavy gold chain yes i noticed him a pompous-looking old gentleman isn't he oh he's dignified in his manner but not all pompous was the reply well i call him pompous if looks mean anything said the mother with the air of one to whom looks were quite sufficient i think i will go to my room she added and turned a glance on me as much as to say you needn't come sir i had no intention of going and wandered out on the piazza feeling as though bessie had almost been taken away from me again when she rejoined me leaving her mother above stairs i asked what does she think of her room well it doesn't quite suit her she thinks the furniture scanty and shabby water scarce towels rather coarse and she can't endure the sight of a kerosene lamp but she will make herself quite comfortable i dare say and everybody else uncomfortable i felt like adding but restrained myself she came down to tea and being offered a seat on the other side of may from bessie firmly declined it and took the one on the other side of her daughter from me as she unfolded her napkin she took in the whole table with a searching glance and had formed a quick estimate of everybody sitting around it miss clara von Dazen and mr desmond her uncle sat opposite and an introduction across the table took place the young lady was vivacious and talkative and tried to make herself agreeable but my mother-in-law did not like what she afterwards called her chatter and set her down as a frivolous young person miss van as everybody called her with her own approval for as she said she detested the dozen which her dutch ancestors had bequeathed her with their other property was one of new york knickerbocker origin now living with her uncle in boston and was by no means frivolous though uncommonly lively she had fine brown eyes beautiful hair and a complexion that defied sun and wind it had the rosy glow of health and indicated a good digestion and high spirits mr desmond seemed to be mostly white vest immaculate shirt front and gold chain the last-named article being very heavy and meandering through the buttonholes of his vest and up around his invisible neck he said little and was evidently not much given to light conversation he was very gracious in his attentions to the ladies however and seemed to pay special deference to mrs pinkerton 
i afterwards learned that he was a widower of long standing without chick or child and the guardian of his niece whom he regarded with great admiration down at the other end of the table was marston evidently giving vent to his impatience about something and his wife with fierce eyes telling him in manner if not in words not to make a fool of himself the rest of the company was made up either of transient visitors or of persons with whom this story has nothing in particular to do as we emerged on the piazza after tea fred who had impolitely gone out in advance called out charlie old boy come here and have a smoke i must confess that these long sittings on the piazzas of summer hotels had lured me back into my old habits which i had forsworn in my efforts to conciliate bessie's mother bessie had encouraged me in it for to tell the truth she rather liked the fragrance of a good cigar and dearly loved to see me enjoying it it was my nature to defy the whole world and be master of my own habits but i had felt a mean inclination after mother-in-law joined the party to slink away and smoke on the sly there was nothing for it now however but to put on a bold face or play the hypocrite and pretend i didn't smoke the latter i would not do and if i had attempted it it wouldn't go down with fred and i should have been in a worse predicament than ever i went boldly across the piazza and took the proffered cigar glancing out at the corner of my eye as i was lighting it i saw my mother-in-law regarding me through her glasses with increased disfavour she did not however seem to be surprised and doubtless believed me capable of any perfidy i say charlie old boy let's have a game of billiards said fred after a few puffs i'll give you twenty points and beat you out of your boots now i was very fond of billiards and usually didn't care who knew it but mrs pinkerton did not approve of the game and had no knowledge that i indulged in it but fred would speak in that absurd shouting way of his and all the ladies heard him again i mustered up resolution and went into the billiard-room but i played very indifferently and was thinking all the time of my mother-in-law and her opinion of me i really wanted to get into her good graces but it required the sacrifice of all my own inclinations and i despised a man who deliberately played the hypocrite to win anybody's favour after two or three listless games i said to fred i guess i will join the ladies i was feeling some qualms of conscience for staying away from bessie a whole hour at once oh hang the ladies was fred's graceless response they can take care of themselves my wife gets along well enough without me i know and yours will soon learn to be quite comfortable without your garden presence besides she's got her mother now by the way what a mighty grand old dowager mrs pink is pinkerton is her name i said a little haughtily as if resenting the liberty he took with my mother-in-law's cognomen oh yes i know but the name's too long and besides she reminds one of a full-blown pink a little on the fade perhaps but still with a good deal of bloom about her is she going to live with you precious fine time you'll have he added having received his answer by a nod she'll bust a shebang you bet oh i guess not i answered not liking his slangy way of talking about my affairs and resolving in my own mind that i would be master in my own house well then there'll be a fine old tussle for supremacy and don't you forget it with this remark fred wandered off down the dusky road humming madame angot and i drew up a chair by bessie's side 
She had evidently been wishing I would come. Mr. Desmond was sitting a little apart from the rest, twisting his fingers in his watch-chain, and looking intently at the mountain-top opposite, as if expecting somebody to come over with a dispatch for him. Mrs. Pinkerton sat by her daughter's side in calm grandeur. Her grey puffs, that fine silver-grey that comes prematurely on aristocratic brows, seeming like appendages of a queenly diadem. Miss Van had been diverting the company with a lively account of her day's adventures. She was always having adventures, and had a faculty of relating them that was little short of genius. "'Well, my dear, are you having a good time?' I murmured in Bessie's ear. "'Oh, yes, but I was feeling a little lonesome without you.' The conversation degenerated into commonplace, about the scenery and points of interest in the neighbourhood, and after a while the company dispersed with polite good evenings. When we reached our room, I remarked to Bessie, who seemed more quiet than usual, "'I hope your mother will like it here.' "'Oh, yes, I guess she will like it when she has been here a little while,' was the answer. "'You know, she has not been away from home much of late years, except to the seaside with the Watsons and other of her old friends, and she does not adapt herself readily to strange company.' I said nothing more, but was absorbed in thoughts about my mother-in-law. It is evident by this time that she was no ordinary woman, no coarse or waspish mother-in-law, but a woman of good breeding and the highest character. She was intelligent and well-informed, a consistent member of the Episcopal Church, with the highest views of propriety, and a reverential regard for the rules of conduct laid down by good society. This made her all the harder to deal with. If she were a common or vulgar sort of mother-in-law, I could assert my prerogatives without compunction, and I was forced to admit that she was a very worthy woman, and not given to petty meddling, but I felt that her presence was an awful restraint. Without her we could have such good times, going and coming as we pleased, and acting with entire freedom, but she must be counted in, and was a factor that materially affected the result. She could not be ignored, her opinions could not be disregarded, that would be rude, and besides, their influence would make itself felt. Strange, the irresistible effect of her presence upon me. She might not openly interfere or directly oppose, but there she was, and she didn't approve of me, or like my friends, could not fall in with my ways or my wishes, and make one of any company in which I should feel at ease, and I knew that her presence would be depressing and spoil our summer's pleasure. And after that was all over, and we were at home, what? Well, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. We slept the sound sleep that mountain and country quiet brings, and took the chances of the future. End of chapter 4